Hey everybody, welcome back to Concierge Confidential. I'm your host, Brian Ortega, and we are back for another week of Concierge Confidential. So, um, we're going to be diving in today to a topic that I think is going to be kind of fun to explore. We're going to be talking about things Vegas is doing right and things Vegas is doing wrong. So, I'm actually going to dive into the side of Vegas that I think are actually trending in the right direction and things that are trending in the wrong direction. And hopefully... You guys might want to chime in. You guys can like let me know in any like comments for this particular show, or you can actually message me on you know Instagram or TikTok or wherever, and I can go ahead and sort of dive into what you think is good and also what is bad about Las Vegas. But I thought this would be a fun little episode to sort of figure out what I think Vegas is is doing great, and I really wanted to sort of expand on it and what I think the trend of Vegas is going forward. So um, obviously, I won't cover everything um, that is right and wrong about Vegas. I'll do my best to think about the things that have come up over the past couple weeks, but we'll certainly dive into both sides of the argument in this particular episode. So this is Concierge Confidential. Okay, Bruce, let's just go ahead and dive into it. So I'll try to do one of each. So because I don't want it to be sort of one sided in terms of, you know, good stuff at the beginning and then bad stuff at the end. I kind of want it to be even. So I'll do one good thing and then one thing that I think that we can work on. So let's go ahead and dive into it. So the thing that I think Vegas is doing right, um, I think it's awesome that Vegas has really embraced old school 50s and 60s Vegas in terms of their dinner and shows. So back in the day, back in the 1950s and 60s, the dunes, the sands, the sands had the Copa Room, which is where the Rat Pack used to perform. And then even when you went into like even the 70s, you would go see Elvis and they had dinner and a show. And he actually did two shows. So he would do the early show, which was typically had dinner at it in the late show, which usually was cocktails, but they would have dinner and a show. And I think we're kind of making our way back that direction. Do I think that they're going to have headliners in our showrooms just like we did at the Copa Room? Uh, not quite, but I think we are leaning in that direction. I think the thing is, is with millennials coming to Las Vegas, which is you know what I am, um, they are now the ones with disposable income and the ones that are going to be here alive long enough to continue to keep coming to Las Vegas. And Las Vegas has always been about creating experiences for who's going to have disposable income for the next 20 to 30 years and that's why you get a lot of people who are like gen x who are you know have these sort of romanticized versions of vegas from you know the 90s and the early 2000s and that's sort of gone away and they're the ones that are saying things are going wrong and things need to get better and really the, the thing is is that vegas is looking towards the future and they're always trying to develop what is next and the funny thing is is that we are going back to what make it make Vegas great, and that was dinner and shows. You would have dinner, you could watch a show. It was all included. You didn't have to think about what time you were going to be at your dinner, so you can be at your show, which honestly is the most stressful thing in the world. It's like, do you eat at five o'clock for your seven o'clock show, or do you eat at nine o'clock for your seven o'clock show? You just never know. So the cool thing about this is that many places, for example, like Mayfair Supper Club, which I go to frequently offers dinner and a show nightly, every single night. It's on time. It's really, really great. And you can really sort of combine all of the pricing together. So you can sort of justify having a more expensive dinner because you're also getting a show at the same time. Go back, you know, to the days of old, you'd go to a steakhouse, you're probably spending about two, two fifty for dinner, you know, if you're lucky. And then you're gonna have to spend another, you know, 
$250 on a show. You're looking at four, you know, at $500 for an evening out in Vegas, which I mean, it's, you know, respectable. You it's doable. Um, but it's a lot. And if you're going to do that for more than three days, then, you know, it can get very pricey. So the cool thing with dinner, you know, and show places like Mayfair, like Delilah's, is that you can spend, let's just say, almost the same amount, to be honest. And you're going to be in the same place. But let's just say, you know, respectively, you spend about $300. It's all in one experience. And you can all sort of group it together and you're going to spend a longer time there and not have to do as much planning. So I think this is a great, great direction that Las Vegas is going in just because I think people love live music and especially millennials. I mean, I, I wouldn't just sort of say it for millennials, but I think in general, human beings love seeing other human beings doing amazing things, whether that be singing, whether that be dancing, whether that be playing a, uh, a musical instrument. We like seeing things up close, especially when other humans are doing them. Uh, not to say that, you know, Cirque du Soleil didn't do it, but it's just the fact that it's right there in front of you, and it doesn't feel like a magic trick. It feels like a talent that is learned. Um, and, I mean, again, this is always sort of sounding like we're putting down, you know, shows in general. I think there's a place for them, for sure. But I do think that we've gotten a little far in terms of the pricing for some of the shows, which, I mean, I used to sell these things all the time. And I used to say, oh, you, you know, 100 bucks, that's doable. But, you know, for two people for a show, you know, that's $200. It adds up. So I completely understand where people are coming from in that aspect, which is why I think this is the direction that we're going. Um, there's a little bit more of what I'm going to talk about this, sort of in the later part of what Vegas is doing right. But I definitely think dinner and a show is... It's awesome that it's going back together, and I really enjoy that. But I don't mean things like poppy steak, like poppy steak or mazan, which or Hassan, excuse me, which is over at uh, Palazzo, which is basically you're like you're doing dinner, but like it's all part of a performance that seems like it's sort of outshadowing the food. Um, I don't want that. Um, I just like you know nice music going on in the background while I'm doing my you know eating my food, having a cocktail, and then you know watch people sing and dance on it. So it's great. Um, if you are somebody who really enjoys doing these type of dinner and show combinations, um, always recommend Mayfair Supper Club. is always great for bachelorette parties. It's even good for date nights, of course, but that's always great. Uh, Delilah's, if you can get in, is fantastic. It's every single night. If you go on Sundays, typically on Sundays they have a jazz night where it's a little bit, you know, jazzy themed, of course. Uh, highly recommend that. And then also, if you want to get a little bit crazy, uh, Super Frico is really, really fun just because you get all these different acrobatics going, you know, in and out of your own little sort of dining space, which is extremely fun. So there's many things out there that you can experience of, you know, the combination of dinner and a show for sure. So let's go ahead and go, you know, to the other side. Let's talk about things Vegas is doing wrong. So I actually ended up staying at the New York, New York when my parents were in town for the Super Bowl. And I have to say, the parking situation is super annoying. And again, uh, being somebody who, you know, I've, I've heard all the complaints about parking. I never really had to park and leave at a property as much as I did during the Super Bowl. And, oh, my God, we have to figure this out, guys. So my mom is at a Pearl level, which allows you to get free parking. And they could never figure out the whole system of going in and out of the parking structure. And every time I had to leave, I had to pay every single time, in and out, in and out, in and out, I had to pay. And uh, my mom, on the other, on the other hand, 
Um, sort of had to do the similar, like the first whole, you know, two days because they could not get the key card to work on the little system. Um, they are doing it good by actually having somebody at the, you know, at the actual station now. But this is really becoming an issue. And honestly, I think it's one of those things where it has you just have to update your system. That's really, really important. But also, I think, I think this is right. I think Fountain Blue is actually doing a great job of it, which I think is, you know, commendable for them. If you are staying at the hotel, is you do not have to pay for parking. And I'm totally for that. I think many people are for that. If you're staying at the hotel, you should not have to pay for self-park. It's You could just lump it in with your resort fee, which is part, you know, I'll mash these together. Resort fees are astronomical nowadays. They're around $50 a person. Sorry, $50 a night. And again, what are those things that you use? And again, this is the biggest thing that we would just sort of rattle off. And then when you're just a normal human being and you say it out loud, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to really sell this to somebody, but it's sort of like you have to take it and that's how you got to do it. But what do you get with your resort fee? Typically, what we tell people you get with your resort fee is the Wi-Fi, which honestly you can get for free at most properties by just signing into the guest Wi-Fi. It's just as good. I don't even think it's any slower than the actual um, hotel stay Wi-Fi. Um, so that's one. Uh, oh, you get access to the spa. Cool. What if I'm not going to the spa? Sorry, to the gym. What if I'm not going to the gym? Why do I need to use the gym if I'm here on vacation and I don't want to use the gym? Well, that's another one. Uh, the other one is a notary service. That used to be a thing. Um, we really don't, who's, unless you're a business person, which happened every blue moon, um, when are you notarizing something? And also, if that notary is not available, you have to go to a different property that offers a notary, which would happen quite often for people at New York, New York. They would have to come over to MGM Grand where we did have a notary on hand. So it's another one. It's a notary. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, local calls. That was another fun one, um, I guess. I mean, when you don't have a, you know, a cell phone, I guess it comes in handy. Uh, but typically, if you're in your room, I guess that's maybe when you would use it. So the cell phone. And then I think the last one. Always forgot the last one. Uh, I think I covered them all. But wouldn't it be so easy just to add parking onto that? If you just said, hey, this covers your self-park or your self-parking fee. I think you would get less complaints about actually staying in the hotel. Um, so again, that's just one of those things that hotels like to make free money off of, to be honest. Um, that's certainly something that hotels have found, you know, loopholes around. And again, I don't like sort of knocking the whole nickel and diming thing. I mean, it's, it is super annoying and it's sort of an easy thing to pick off, you know, pick on hotels with, but again, when you're getting, you know, getting paid, you know, charged for parking and the resort fee, eh, it is kind of a lot. So again, if you are going to be utilizing South Park, I think that should be included in your resort fee stay. So again, parking, really a big one that I wanted to talk about. So moving on, um, let's go ahead and talk about what I love that is happening now, especially in newer hotels and even, you know, older hotels are catching on to this and that is lounges. We have way more lounges now that are, you know, high end. It doesn't feel cheesy. So to be honest, you guys, you know, watch my content, you know, if you could check it out on concierge confidential underscore LV on, uh, Instagram, you could also check me out on TikTok, which is at Keys to Vegas. But you notice that I don't go to a lot of properties, like, for example, uh, the Caesars properties. I don't go to a lot to Planet Hollywood a lot. I don't go to Paris a lot, Bally's, uh, just because I feel like a lot of these places do not have the lounge 
game that I'm looking for. Again, if you're here on a budget, these are great properties to go to. Um, even though, you know, Paris is beautiful on the inside and they have Vanderplumps, but again, Vanderplumps is sort of the other side of the spectrum. But so many lounges, those properties feel so like lower limit to me, like where I don't like to go hang out at. It, they don't feel Vegasy to me. It's not my Vegas. That might be your Vegas and that's totally fine. But they just don't have that anything to them. It feels very sort of, you know, generated. So I love that many hotels now are really putting an emphasis on these lounges where the, you're having an extended stay inside of one place. For example, Fountain Blue. Fountain Blue has beautiful lounges on the inside. They have uh, Azul, which is their tequila and mezcal bar. They have Solo, which is a great high limit bar. They also have the... Um, Collins, which has become one of my favorite bars at Fountain Blue, where just a simple thing like a live piano player adds so much just character to the place. And I think that's really, really important for a lounge, which I'll talk about you know, a little bit later, obviously. But love lounges. And it's not just there. Um, they just opened over at the Bellagio Pinky Ring, which I reviewed on my last episode. If you want to go back and listen to it, it's on this feed where we really sort of re-emphasized lounges, where it's an ultra lounge. It's a place for adults to be able to go, have a drink, let their hair down, have a good time. That isn't the nightclub. There's plenty of nightclubs in Vegas, but it's actually really hard to find a lounge where you're able to sit, have a conversation. Even if you're not having a conversation, it feels like an upscale lounge. You know what really muddies the waters when it comes to lounges? And I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this particular take is video poker machines. Nothing cheapens a lounge or a bar more than video poker machines. I do not like video poker machines. I get there are people in the world that say that's your best edge when it comes to gambling, which, you know, could be true. But nothing makes your beautiful marble bar look any more cheap than a big giant-ass slot machine right in the middle of it. And again, I, do, I, I don't like it. I think it cheapens everything we have, and I think we really need to, especially for lounges um, that are going to be specific for drinking and you know, sort of creating experience, to not have them. I think it's really going to help you know, the aesthetic of the actual place. There's plenty of places that you can put video poker machines. You could put them at the you know, center bars. You could put them at you know, the casino bar itself. There are plenty of places to put video poker machines, but I don't think they belong in lounges. I don't think they belong in restaurants. Um, they really just make everything way more cheap than they have to look. But again, back to lounges. Really excited to see where they're going with the, the sort of whole lounge trend. Um, I went to uh, the Durango, which is a new hotel that was just built, and they have a beautiful lounge called the Bel Air Lounge, where it just feels like a nice place where locals can go have a couple cocktails, talk about you know what they did that day. It's a very social atmosphere. It's indoor outdoor, which even looks even better. And again, I just think it's one of those things that it's nice to have a nice lounge to go to. Lounges are great. I think people who enjoy lounges, you end up staying there. I went to the Collins uh, over at Fountain Blue. I usually go, go there, have one, maybe two drinks. I stayed there for three drinks because it was such a good atmosphere. The great bartender also had a beautiful piano player. He was doing a great job. And again, these are the experiences you take with you when you leave your vacation. You build your vacation of how you want your memory to be of it. That's really what it is. You build your vacation around what you want. And I think 
having so many of these options are very, very important. Um, again, for somebody who wants to go hang out at Harrah's and have that type of vacation, that's good for you. We have plenty of those, but I think we are super low in terms of lounges, and I think we're getting back to it. And I'm really, really excited to see where we go with the lounge game in Las Vegas because I think that was the staple of Vegas in the 50s and 60s. You got a lot of good acts in that those days, and I think it'll be really good. So moving on, don't want to harp on the lounges too much, but let's just let's just talk about this. Prices. We're still on prices. So the one I have the biggest gripe with, and that's because I actually wanted to do a steakhouse for you guys you know, a week or two ago, was that it is very expensive to go to a steakhouse in Las Vegas. I was actually looking at a couple of places that I've never been before, and I was looking at the price, sort of adding it up in my head, and I was like, no, I just, I'm not going to do this because, honestly, guys, a lot of steakhouses in Vegas taste the same. A lot of them very much sort of feel and taste the same. So it's really hard for me to go into some place saying I'm going to spend, you know, so you know, so much money and then I'm going to have a very meh experience after after I'm done. So a lot of places again just just priced just astronomical. I mean if you go to a place and typically a steak in Las Vegas will range between 68 and 80. dollars That's sort of a normal USDA wet, you know, wet or dried steak. A lot of places nowadays, you're getting into the 90 and $105 range for those type of steaks for like a New York strip or a ribeye or, you know, something of that nature. And God forbid you get a tomahawk, which is going to cost you, you know, 200 bucks, but you know, an A5 Wagyu, which is going to cost you, you know, by the ounce. Steakhouses have gotten to the point where you cannot go by yourself. It's better to go as a couple the cuts of meat are much larger, so very shareable, which then becomes you know more doable as a, you know as a couple. But man, you've, so let's just break it down. You go in, you're gonna spend eighty bucks on a steak. You know it's seventy five bucks, so let's say eighty dollars on a steak. Then you're gonna you know get a side. Your sides are gonna be fifteen to twenty dollars. You're now already at a hundred dollars, and that was for a steak and a side. Maybe you want an appetizer, so you add another $20 on top of that. So now we're at $120, and we haven't even got a drink yet, and we haven't even had dessert yet. So honestly, it's gotten so expensive. And if you get a cocktail, add another 20 to that. So now we're looking at it. We're just adding it up. I never like to do this adding game of just adding things up to how expensive things are. But it feels like at steakhouses specifically, and again, steakhouses are meant to be expensive. They're meant to be um, luxurious and extravagant. And there are plenty of steakhouses that I love to go to, will gladly go to. Carver Steak, love Carver Steak. They have so many great things on the menu. Um, other places that I would go, I also, I really, really like Berries is really good. Um, other steakhouses that I really enjoy, I mean, Prime is, is quite good as well. Um, What's the other one? Oh my goodness, at Park MGM. Bavette's is fantastic. And then also we have Craft uh, Steak is so, so good, uh, which is over at MGM. These all feel very worth it. But it's when I start going to other places, like I was looking at, you know, going to Barry's. I was looking at going to Oscars. I was looking at going to um, Gordon Ramsay Steak at the Paris. And you just look at it and you're just, man. I'm going to walk out of here spending over 200 bucks. And the thing is, is that you guys obviously follow a lot of different, you know, social channels. And it's important to note when I go out, I do spend my money. So 
I actually end up getting things that I think a single person would be able to eat that wants to be, you know, maybe a touch more on the, you know, ex- you know, bougie extravagant side, but still sort of has a budget. And that's why I don't, I don't go to like these like marketing events where you have to remember when you see those marketing events and now this is sort of turned into a calling out other, <laughs> other uh, creators is that the marketing events are for like, 15 to 20 people you know sometimes it's a smaller group sometimes it's like eight or ten but let's just say it's you know up to 10 to 15 people and they're all sampling all these different things that is why you see all these extravagant items it's very rare that somebody by themselves will go and get you know the giant platter for 500 dollars with a seafood tower and lobster tails and all that by themselves so it is very very rare so that's why it's important to note that that is sort of how i do it and again no knocking people who show it on you know in the world but again a normal person will typically go and i try to show them as many options as possible of when i went to the actual place of business but again the prices for steakhouses have gotten very just astronomically high and i think it would be nice to sort of regulate that but again stop charging people for bread i hate when people charge people for bread bread should be free i'm really tired of saying that so um I'll just sort of squeeze in another one here that I think is wrong with Vegas. It's just the corporatization of everything. Uh, what does that mean, you may ask, Brian? And really, it's it's everything that Aria does. So everything that used to be cool about Vegas was that you can walk into a spot, you know, tip a five, tip a ten, whatever, get a seat, sit down, enjoy your night. I really don't enjoy that you have to have a reservation to go to lounges. Reservations for dinner... I'm okay with that. You got to have a reservation for dinner. That's how they want it. That's okay. They have to know sort of their cost. Your alcohol is going to be there for a lounge. And for lounges, I do not want, I want you to have the option to do it, but I also want the option of being able to just walk into a place, which is why I really enjoyed Pinky Ring. Pinky Ring is very much set up where you have to have a, a table reservation to have a good time. You have to go in, you have to get your seat, you have a spending minimum, you hit it. But you are able to just walk up to the bar, you know, walk around, look at stuff, you know, take it in. And then, you know, go. They have a capacity. Fine. That's okay. But you're able to still walk in and go up to the bar. Places like Easy Speakeasy, which I love to use as an example, are what I hate about Vegas. I really hate that for Easy Speakeasy, which has become very, very popular online, um, it's way too dark. You can't see the stage from the bar. And the bar is also quite, quite small. There's also a giant pillar in the way. Also, you do have to have a reservation for a table. And even if you have a reservation for a table, you have a time limit put on you to sit at that table, which I think is horrible. It's horrible. You're paying for just, what, an hour and a half of your time? You're paying that money so you can have it for the rest of the evening. And yeah, are we going to get to a number? Sure. Are we going to go over that number? Probably if I'm able to stay there longer. But when you put me on a time frame, then it's sort of I'm looking at my clock, looking at my watch, having to worry about it. So I think, again, this corporatization makes everything so much less cool in the city. And we were the king of cool in this city for the longest time. The lounge acts were great. You'd be able to walk in, drink, have a good time, and you never really knew where the night was going to lead you. And I think that's what was great about Las Vegas, which, again, we're bringing back more lounges, and I think we're doing a good job of using that experience. So places like you know Collins is great. Um, 
other places like at uh, Palazzo, like you can go to, you know, Wakuda, which is one of my more favorite lounges. Um, you can go to Juliet Lounge, which is over at, you know, the Venetian as well, which they have, you know, live acts. Uh, I just think those are the kind of places that people like. Because people, when they come to Vegas, don't typically have a plan. I always tell you guys about having plans, which is, you know, fine. It's okay to have a plan. I think it's important to have plans. But when you get later in the night, you never know where your plans will take you. And I think that's the fun of Las Vegas is just not always having a plan and sort of getting lost somewhere in the casino. And you never know who you might meet. So moving on, um, I do want to finish up with um, one of my things that I think is sort of the overall theme of this is that anything live is better. And I think having live music in your lounges and restaurants is just beautiful. Perfect. I was actually walking through MGM Grand with my parents to go to um, the monorail to go see Cool and the Gang. And two instances of this, um, the new Jonas Brothers restaurant, which forgetting the name at the moment, um, which is located right by the monorail, which took over the old um, Mexican place at MGM. They have live music in there. They have a guy on a piano. They have a singer. It's just fantastic. It's just nice to have that sort of live vibe. It makes you want to stay. It gets you excited. It makes you want to order more drinks. And I think that's really good business model for these places. And again, going back to the Collins, which is one of my more favorite lounges that I just had, they have a piano player. Every time that he's there, I'm excited to be there. I'm excited to have a drink, talk to my favorite bartender. And again, those cocktail lounges, the bartenders really want to get to know you, but they're so professional where they know just how much to talk to you, how much to give you some rope. They're sort of just sort it's sort of a dance that you're playing with each other, you know. But again, these live venues are just so good. They just add so much to it. But you have to have it. Um, you know, going back to, you know, Fountain Blue, because I've been there a lot lately, Asul, which is their, you know, uh, tequila mezcal bar. They had a live, you know, roaming band that night that had so much energy and it was so much fun. Every night that I've gone back there since, it's dead. It's super dead. They're de and why? Because they don't have anything going on. The music kind of sucks in there. There's not li any live music. And I don't know if I'm going the wrong days or what it is, but what's going on? Let's figure it out, guys. You've got to figure it out. You've got to match the level of all the lounges or else you get, you know, you get eaten up. I thought the Collins bar was going to be dead. I thought it was, you know, dead on arrival. No, no lounge singer, no nothing. It's going to be gone. It's now one of my more favorite bars. Nowhere Lounge, which is upstairs, super popular. It's become a spot. And I think a Sewell, where it is located, should be better than what it actually is. And I think they got to figure that out. But again, live music in places, I think, is key. Where did I go? So we went to Westgate. So we're at Westgate. We get there. Cool and the Gang is playing there. And what do they have in the main lounge when you walk into the door? You have a band, a whole band playing there within, within, you know, within the bar, right next to the bar. You have people in there. You have people standing. What are people going to do? They're going to order drinks. That's more revenue for you. I think this is a great business model that we're figuring out that people will stay longer if there is a live band there to play for you. And I think people just love doing that. They just know they have this connotation of what Vegas is and that, and they're getting it from that. And again, you have natural breaks and then that's when people can come, go, whatever you want. But then you get a new batch of people that can come in 
and boom, you're there. Um, again, Pinky Ring, I think, is a great example of what Vegas is going towards. And, you know, back to ultra lounges, live music where you can dance, have a good time for adults. And I think this is really, really important to, 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 to mark out. So, again, live music, I'm always down for it. Uh, by the way, calling everything speakeasies um, is, needs to go. I'm done with it. Guys, st- stop doing it, guys. Stop doing it. Um, other little gripe, a uh, lot of Mediterranean coming in the world. And I think we need a different food uh, culture in Las Vegas in terms of what we're bringing into town. Um, although I think it's okay. Um, I just think it's a trendy thing. I think you're going to get lots of Mediterranean out there. And then we're going to sort of re- you know, recede to the norm, if you will, um, as, we, as we go through. So, again, these are some of the things Vegas, I think, is doing right. Some of the things I think Vegas is doing wrong. Overall, I think Las Vegas is always changing and sort of figuring out what it wants to be. But I think we are in the right direction in terms of things that I like, which is, you know, having a show with your dinner. And then also the lounge game is just just stepping up immensely in this town. Um, I did get a lot of requests in terms of uh, things for your personal trip to Las Vegas, which I'm working on right, right now, which is a bachelor party, which is quite extensive. So I'm doing my best to actually put that together and hopefully I'll have a little bonus episode or be one of my later episodes in the week that you can follow. Uh, but that'll be about a bachelor party. So hopefully that one comes out the way they like, and I'll try to give my best recommendations on that single pod. Um, we'll typically back try to be back here on Thursday or Friday with either review or, you know, something else that I found out during the week. But again, Really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you can follow us on any of our social channels, Concierge Confidential underscore LV, or on our TikTok at Keys to Vegas. And again, I mean, I'll be around town as much as I can be. We have the Las Vegas Marathon, which is why I didn't go out during the weekend because, Jesus, that's a lot of people. But I will be out and about looking at other things, maybe do more lunch spots. Um, I've been told that I don't do enough brunch things, so I'll try to sort of space it out to see what I can do while I'm out here in the city of sin. So again, if you see me out in town, feel free to come up and say hello. Um, Again, my name is Brian Ortega. And remember, keep it confidential.